everyone. Wow. <laughs> it's funny how um, God has put everything together in this message when the um, Pastor Dwight and Pastor Caleb um, encouraged me heavily to um, preach. It was really a challenge for me, but I told them I really had something on my heart about waiting. We are in such a season of waiting, and we truly are in a season of waiting. Um, but there are insignificant things that we wait for, like waiting in line 10 minutes to get gas, we get flustered, or about the 20 minutes the doctor's office is running late <clears throat> when they ask you to be there 15 minutes early. Can you tell that bothers me? <laughs> it does, it does. Or what about a two-day wait for Amazon to get there? Right. Now, those are all insignificant ways of, of waiting, but I do believe God uses those, and he can, and he has. Can I be honest with you? I failed miserably this week. <laughs> Dwight and I had some errands to run. We had to run to the bank, take care of paperwork, and I said, oh, gosh, I am so busy, but let's just run quickly through the new Chick-fil-A and waited 20 minutes. Now, it was worth it, I must say. It was worth it. But it was a 20-minute wait, and I kept saying, oh, would they ever hurry? Lady, go! Can you not see? I mean, I was just like, and out of the sweetness and the kindness of my husband, he looks at me and says, isn't it amazing that God uses our messages to work in us? I wanted to say, get behind me, Satan. But I didn't. I knew what he was saying. God truly was using that to work upon me because I was going to bring this word to you. But there are significant things that God uses in our lives. Waiting for a better job. One, to get promoted in that we want. Maybe we're waiting for better finances. Maybe we're waiting for our marriages to get stronger and better than where they're at. Maybe we're waiting for test results that have come back that have been off kilter, and we're waiting to get to the doctors to hear what he has to say. Maybe you're waiting for the healing in your body. Maybe you're waiting for relief from an awful, horrible circumstance you're in. You just want relief from it all. Maybe you're waiting to conceive a child. Maybe you're waiting for the second coming of Christ Jesus. <laughs> but as I was looking through this, this message came to me, and I thought, I'm going to look up the word waiting. What does it say? So in a today's dictionary, this is what the definition was. A delay or a pause. And I thought, hmm, Okay. So then I have an older dictionary, a Webster dictionary from 1941. And this was the definition um, that it said. It said, to look, to be in expectation, or to remain in readiness for action. Yeah. Now, that's a definition in our waiting. Expectations. We sang about expectations. We need to be in expectation mode when we're in everything I just described because we have all been in waiting seasons. I'm in waiting seasons right now and one time or another you're going to be in a waiting season and there is a significance in your waiting. There is significance in your waiting. We learn so many things. I learn so many things. Trust, faith, patience, and God uses those in our season of waiting. If God would have told me when I got saved, here I am, I got saved. If he would have told me, September 19th at 11 o'clock, you're going to be delivering a message to a whole body of people in a church, I would have ran. But it's God's protection for us that he doesn't reveal everything in our waiting. There's a waiting time. See, my personality, I want to know the what, the ifs, the whens, the wheres, and the hows all at one time. But God does not work 
to give us all those answers. Now, I'm not saying that I wasn't asking God what was going to happen once I got saved. I was probably pretty scared at that point. But I knew that there was something that God was doing in the midst. See, God's an all-knowing God. He is not obligated to share with you his plans that he has about you. It's just like parenting. We don't share everything that we know with our children because it's not everything that they could handle or deal with. It could be too much. But God will share with you the whens, the ifs, the hows, the whens, and the whats when he wants to let you know, not when you want to know. See, that's how great God is. Now, I'm going to have a lot of scriptures today, and you don't have to um, write them down. You can swipe them or anything, but I'm going to tell you, I've got some scriptures in here that I think are going to really speak to us. Um, And his perfect timing, though, God's timing is perfect. He'll let you know what's going to take place. Not in our timing. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 in the uh, NASB, this is what it says. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. In our waiting, we must trust the timing of God. And I'm not downplaying any of the circumstances. There are hard circumstances we are all faced with. They're gut-wrenching. They break our heart. We think it will never end. But God's timing is always perfect. And that's what we get to stand on. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, it says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Thank you, Jesus. Because if you had my thoughts, we would be in one hot mess right now. God thinks higher. See, we see in part, God sees the whole picture. He sees the picture of your life and the plans that he has for you, and he will use that waiting to bring about what only he can do if we yield to it. See, I do know this. We can trust God. He is a God of love. He is not out to harm us. He is not a God that lies to us. And when he gives a word, it will not return void. And that's what we get to stand upon. And you need to hold on to that in your waiting season. And I do believe there's purpose in the waiting. And that God will use those waiting seasons that you're in to make us look more like him. Because if we don't look more like him to a lost and dying world, they're not going to get saved and know Jesus and have eternity and experience the good life that God has for them. How do we wait? It's not sitting around and doing nothing. We have to be actively waiting. Remember, remain in readiness for action. In your circumstances, can you say you're remaining active expectantly in the midst of your hardship, in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your challenge. I'm standing here with you with those same questions and the same emotions that you go through during that season. And it's um, when we moved, I was so excited to finally be able to put a garden in our, in our um, backyard. And so we uh, dug it up. And then we had manure put on it to get the ground real good. And you know that ground's kind of stinky at the beginning. Maybe we're feeling a little stinky right now. But God has a seed he wants to plant in you. And so I took those seeds and I planted them in the garden. And I'd run inside, okay. A week goes by. I said, Dwight, there's something not coming up. What's wrong? We're not doing something right. We need to water it. 
But there is a season of waiting from the time we plant the seed till the time something begins to pop up out of the ground. There's a season of waiting. But during that season of waiting, there's something growing underneath the ground. Our hearts, God's growing something in our hearts underneath the ground because we have to get to the place. And there's even a season that doesn't even come to pass yet till the fruit starts showing. And I kept going back and saying, what's wrong? Why are we not seeing anything? Well, something comes up, but then there was a greater length of time before I got to see my sweet cherry tomatoes. There's a season of waiting, but God's doing something underneath the ground. The roots are going deep. In our waiting, our faith is growing. Our muscles of faith become stronger when we're faced with challenges and trials in our waiting season. And you can trust this. God is not going to leave you. He's not going to let you hang there. He is with walking the walk with you. Now, at times in our waiting, we can feel like we're being really tested. At times, we can feel like we're being tested. But you need to remember this point. God loves you. God loves you. When you aren't getting the results you want to get in your waiting season, when your prodigal child hasn't returned back to his relationship with the Lord yet, when you have a negative pregnancy test, or you don't see any ounce of improvement in your marriage, or the school shut down and you're back homeschooling your kids, God still loves you in those seasons of waiting. And you have to believe that he is for you. He loves you. He created you to be who you are. And I say this because he paid the highest price. The highest price God paid because he loved you. And it doesn't matter about your past. He loves you because of your past. He loves you right where you're at right now. You don't have to earn God's love. He loves you just the way you are right now. That's how much God loves you. And I want to read to you this scripture dropped in my spirit this morning, and I I want to read it. It's Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to start with verse 35. And it says, Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? And this is in the Passion Translation. Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love towards us. Troubles, pressures, and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecution, deprivation, dangers, and death threats? None. No, yet even, and I'm going to verse 37, yet even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be more than conquerors, and his demonstrated love is glorious victory over everything. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. Nothing can separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death. Life's troubles, fallen angels, dark rulers in the heavens, there is nothing in our present or our future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love which is lavished on us through Christ Jesus. No situation that we face dilutes God's love. God's love is not dilutable. It's probably not a word. I need to ask Dwight and Caleb, is that such a word? But there's not. 
And when we're going through those times, if we can stand strong knowing that you are loved, because so many times we think it's because, oh, God loves and doesn't love me. Oh, I've not done what he's wanted me to do. He's mad at me. No, he loves you in the midst of where you're at. Nothing. Look to your neighbor and say, nothing's going to separate me from God's love. Now say it like you mean it. (laughs) But when we understand that power of God's love in our lives, we can make it through our waiting season. Think of what you're waiting for right now and that God loves you and you're going to make it through that season. It's like um, a runner In the Olympics, we just had the Olympics. It's like that runner just didn't all of a sudden get picked to be in the team, and then all of a sudden he's an Olympian. He has worked years. She has worked years of training and running and running and training and training and running just to be accepted on the team, not alone to win the Olympics, but then to get a gold, silver, or bronze. There's work that takes place. What's God doing in here in your waiting season? In Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, let your roots grow down deep into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. As we take those, the things that we're going through, and we take the word of God and build that word of God in us, whatever you're waiting in that, you're not going to blow over. You're going to make it. Because, see, the fruit grows in the valley, you guys. It does not grow at the mountaintop. Mountaintops are great, but the fruit grows in the valley. I know that our waiting feels like we're in um, a, a valley sometimes, and it can be hard, but do you know that's where the fruit gets processed? Our faith in God grows. Our trust in God gets there. And how do we do it? It's by spending all that time with the Lord, not in the doing, in the being, in the being and worshiping the Lord. I mean, I've had times, and I'm a Assuming you have that you're so distraught over things, sometimes you can't even sing. You just turn the worship music on. That's good. That's good. We need to do that. We need to get into the Word of God and find what scriptures are going to help strengthen our root systems. So when you're waiting, in Psalm 62, verse 5, Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. You don't have to do anything. Just sit in the presence of God. There's been times people have come and visited our church, and they couldn't stand, and they couldn't worship. They said, all I could do is just sit, because it brought such peace to them. Sometimes we need to just sit and let the peace of God just rest right where we're at. There are those storms that we face in our life, but our roots need to go deep in the Lord. Sometimes storms we bring upon ourselves. Would you agree? Would you agree? We do, we do. Because of our disobedience to what God's asking us to do. And I'm going to give you an example. Jonah. He was called to preach in Nineveh, and he ran. He didn't want a thing to do with it. He was disobedient to God, and he was not going to do what God had asked him to do at the beginning. But there are times when we are obedient and we still have storms that come. Would you agree? Amen. Moses went through a lot of hardships um, because he obeyed the Lord. 
He left a lot behind. There were challenges that he faced. And Moses was called to be the deliverer of Israel. And um, in my morning devotion this morning, this is a scripture that came to me. And I'm just going to read it, folks. Because I thought it fit just, just perfect. And it's talking about Moses and when God called him. It says, it's um, Exodus, and I'm sorry I did not give this to you. It's uh, Exodus 2, chapter 20, or verse 23, and then I'm going to go to 3, verse uh, 7. Um, years had passed, and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of slavery. They were waiting. Can you imagine what they felt like under that burden of slavery? They cried out for help, and they cried, their cry rose up to God. God heard their groanings, and he remembered his covenant promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he, God, looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. And then go to chapter 3, verse 7. And it says, the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. God has seen you. He has heard your cries. We need to remember that God is not a silent God or he turns his back on us when we're facing things. He's listening to us. He said, I heard the cries of the distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yet I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the, from the power of the Egyptians and led them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. I want you to catch this next point. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. We need to know in our waiting, just as the Israelites were faced, there is a land out there waiting for milk and honey that we get to just bathe in. We get to bask in because he knows where you're at. He hears your cry. God is not a silent God. He is a God that hears you. Moses waited those 40 years in the wilderness. Abraham waited 100 years for his promised son. Noah waited 140 years till it rained. They didn't even know what rain was. hadn't rained before. But they waited. They waited. Hannah was a woman of faith. For 19 years, she could not conceive a child. And the Bible describes it. She was embarrassed. She was taunted. She was tormented. She was brokenhearted because she couldn't have a child. And then the Bible says that Hannah was discouraged and had great anguish and great sorrow in her soul. I'm sure there are times that we felt that way. Mary and Martha, they were waiting for Jesus to arrive to uh, heal Lazarus. And they're waiting. And they're waiting. What was God doing? What's God doing in your waiting? Storms do not last forever. Praise God. And I hope this word's not a heavy word. It's so quiet in here. But their storms do not last forever. Thank you, Jesus. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can now see. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that we cannot see. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. I can't see your hearts, but I know God's doing some stuff in them. You're probably glad you can't see my heart. (laughs) 
God's doing stuff in me as well. I'm not exempt from this word. If you only knew the things that I had to face going just delivering this message, but it's a season of waiting. We cannot sit back any longer and have pity parties. We cannot isolate ourselves any longer because we don't want people to know I don't have it together. We have to come to the place to say, okay, God, I am here. I want you to do what only you can do. And in Habakkuk 2, 3, in the NIV, it says, his timing's perfect, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. An appointed time. And it speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it lingers, wait for it. Say it together. Wait for it. Because it's coming. It's coming. We just need to wait and allow God to do what only God can do in our hearts. Because it will certainly come and it will not delay. God's timing is absolutely perfect. And your delay is not a denial for God to answer what you're facing. He hears you. Remember the scripture I read? He hears you when you're crying out to him. He is there beside you, listening to you. He wants to come alongside you and say, you're not alone in this. We need to let him in a little bit more. Pastor Caleb made this comment at the very beginning of the year, and he said, Our trust in God is tested by the adversities of life, but it does not mean he, God, is not trustworthy. God is still trustworthy. God's not mad at you and me. God sees potential, and sometimes the only way to get to the potential is by the waiting of the situation we're facing. The more you embrace it, I think, Tammy, the quicker we're going to get through it. Don't fight it any longer. Yes, it stinks. I hate this, but I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to embrace it because I know that God has my destiny ahead of me. I got a real good example here. Jesus. So uh, if you want to turn to your Bibles or your iPhone, I'm going to be reading out of Matthew 3. I kind of struggled with this when I first came up here because um, Dwight can get messages on a little tiny piece of paper or napkin when we're on our date night or when he's in an airplane two sentences, and he can preach for a whole hour. (laughs) Then we have Caleb, who's the historian, which I only got to see in history. He gives us these deep messages about the history and everything behind it. And then I said to myself, oh, and then they have Tammy. (laughs) But you know what? I'm who I am. And I love the way God made me. And it can be quirky sometimes. But I'll be, I love myself and my, my habits. <laughs> so let's quickly go back to Matthew chapter 3, verses 13. <clears throat> then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk Jesus out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, so why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires of us. So John agreed to be baptized. So after his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water, and the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, settling on him. And a voice from heaven, this is my dearly loved son, Who brings me great joy? John tells Jesus, no, you have to baptize me. Jesus says, no, no, no. He's an obedient. I need to do what the Father has asked us to do. And as Jesus came out of the water, he heard the Father give him a shout out, I love you. 
And one version says, I'm pleased with you. This version says, I have joy in you. That's for you too. It's what Pastor Caleb, I love how everything came together, worship and everything, and it just was like a, a hand in a glove. Well, just as Pastor, was ta- or Pastor Caleb was talking about this, he said, you know, he was in a, a, a situation and he found himself feeling quite inadequate, which at one time or another, we all feel inadequate. That's why we know we need a Jesus, a Savior. Amen? So that challenge of waiting, of feeling inadequate, God's doing something in us. So we can know who we are. I know who I am. I'm not Dwight, and I'm not Caleb. I am Tammy, and this is the way God made me. Can you say that? In my inadequacies. And Caleb heard that. He heard God say to him, remind me who I am. And God said, you are loved, and I am pleased with you, and you bring me great joy. That same message is for you. You are my loved son or daughter, and it pleases me, and you bring great joy. Even when frustrations come, and you have disappointments knocking at your door, and you are absolutely overwhelmed while you're waiting, remember that the God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead loves you and is pleased with you in the waiting. Don't back up. Don't hide. Embrace it. You're not less of a Christian if if you feel like, if I back up a little bit, just embrace it. Just embrace it. Now, I want you to listen to this next point because this point that I'm going to make was the whole premise of this message. Immediately in chapter 4, verse 1, get this. If you get anything, get this. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, come on. God, you love me. I bring you great joy. I please you. Why are you leading me into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? We have to come to that place that if God sees, if Jesus walked it, what makes us think we're not going to have to walk it? It's not a bad thing. Remember, God loves you. See, if you can remember how much God loves you, he paid the highest price because of his love for you. You will make it through your season of waiting. I guarantee you. Unlike us, Jesus passed every single test. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 through 10. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus says, No, that's not what the scripture says. People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the highest city in Jerusalem, the highest point, and said, if you jump off here, God will give his angels charge over you, and he will catch you, he will protect you, you won't even harm yourself. I'm sorry, I'm just not following verbatim, but... And then Jesus responded, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the highest mountain, and showed him this, and all the kingdoms of the world, he said, they're yours. You can have them all if you just kneel down and worship me. And the next verse, Jesus said, get out of here, Satan. Some of us need to tell Satan to get out of our thought life, need to get out of our circumstances, to get out of my, my marriage that's trying to be, to get out of my... Uh, womb, that I can't conceive children. Get out of my way, Satan, that my child is coming back. Sometimes we got to tell Satan, get out of the way, bud. You're not welcomed here. The only one that is welcomed is Jesus Christ and him alone. Woo! 
And the next, at the end of that verse, it says, and you must worship the Lord God and serve only him in your waiting. Are you worshiping him? Are you serving him? Oh, gosh, my feelings got hurt, and I'm having a hard time. I'm not going to serve anywhere. You know what? That's biblically incorrect. It says right here, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I'm speaking to myself. It is not easy when we're going through the mess. I'm not going to pull a Caleb. (laughs) Graham Cook says it this way. I wish I could say I thought of this, but I didn't. Graham Cook says, the wilderness is where God takes you when he is happy with you. God is happy with you. He really is. You need to believe no matter what you're going through, he's happy with you. He is so happy with you. Remember, God loves you and he is pleased with you. Even when he leads us into the wilderness. So even when we're obedient, sometimes we can still feel like we've done something wrong. No, God loves us. Sometimes there's only things that can come out or we can learn in those tough, hard seasons. I'll never forget the time that um, we were um, laid off. Dwight was laid off for two two weeks at Rockwell. And um, two years. What did I say? Two Two weeks? Oh, no, it was two, two, two years. Um, and it was a very challenging. I had hit rock bottom. We were not anywhere in sight of being in ministry. That wasn't even a thought in our, in our mind at this time. Um, and he was laid off. He was going to school, doing odd jobs. I had hit rock bottom because um, for two years I couldn't buy clothes. But you want to know the truth? In those two years... Our clothes never wore out. I didn't have to buy clothes. That was a me thing. That wasn't a God thing. And that's what we have to remember, God things and not me things. I hit rock bottom. I I learned the most valuable lessons. I'm telling you in those two years that I would have never learned any other way. I learned to pray to a God because I had nothing to go to. He couldn't provide for me. I needed to trust God for every aspect. I had to have faith like I'd never had before. I had to have a faith to say, God, protect my children that they don't get sick. We had no medical. I did not have the government's assistant because we chose. That was something Dwight and I chose to walk out and say, okay, God, We're in this waiting season. We'll see. Maybe I was testy at that time because I was ignorant and wasn't very far along in my my walk with God. But I had a childlike faith. I had nothing to lean on but God and God alone. My prayer life grew in those two years. My faith grew in those two years. My, my trust in God, my faith in God went from to yeah, that's right. That is what God does. Yeah. And you want to know why? Because God started out with me not having food or clothing when he was laid off. I mean, I had, I had it, but I had to trust for it. I couldn't just go to my fridge. I literally had to trust God. But it was because... If I would not have learned that here, you all would be in trouble. You know what I'm saying? If we didn't learn how to pray, to trust, and to have faith, we we would have not been given the gift of pastoring this church. I had to learn there because God called me here. And thank God he didn't tell me there that I would be doing it here because I would have ran. I would have ran. And God doesn't want you to run, but he's not going to share everything with you till you get in the waiting position. 
to have God do what only God can do. He loves you. You have to remember that. When you're up to your earlobes in stuff that is not pretty, God loves you, and you have to remember. You're going to walk out this door, and some of you are going to face some things Monday morning, and you need to say, God, you love me. You're going to say what Pastor Caleb said, I'm inadequate. Tell me, God, you're loved. I'm pleased with you. You make me happy. Amen? You know what else that did to me? Or for you, not me, for you. He protected you. If we would have learned all that there, this could have been a really hot mess in here. But we learned it. We embraced it. It was hard. It was difficult. I cried out to God. I thought he had turned his back on me, but the scriptures that I read... He didn't turn his back on me. It says he heard my cry. He hears your cry. As the worship team comes and prepares to get ready to worship, I'm not like Dwight or Caleb. I really do only have one closing. And I really do mean that. I get on this two guys. Come on, guys. One, one closing. I'm going to tell a story about <clears throat> someone you probably already know, Corey Tin Boone. And she was a woman who lived during World War II in the Netherlands. And the Nazis had come in and invaded, and they were killing Jews. And so they were a family that was full of faith. They loved God. They were passionate about their Savior. And that they believed every person that God created was passionate um, about life. And so they had built a wall on the, um, in their house. And they did such a good job, it was never found out that they were hiding Jewish people in there so the Jewish people could get to freedom and they could be safe. They had worked with the underground resistance. And... Um, they, they did some wild stuff. They smuggled Jews so they would live. And in the winter of 1944, they were arrested. And um, there, I think there were 20 or 30 more people who were arrested at the time because there was a snitch and he told on them and they got caught. And so um, 10 days after they were arrested, Corey's father had passed away, but her sister Betsy and her had gone to a couple different prisons, and eventually they ended up in a concentration camp in Germany. And I, it's called Ravensbrück, but that would be a question for Caleb, because I'm sure I'm probably not pronouncing that quite right. But you get my point. It was a concentration camp in Germany. The conditions were horrible. They were deplorable. And we have no idea what they are like. We really don't. The food was bad, if even enough to to fill their bellies for the work they had to do. There was no hygiene at all. And in this time, even Corey's sister Betsy would have uh, died in the concentration camp. But Corey knew when they got there, they had to strip down and they had to put on uh, another dress. But in that time, she had hidden a little Bible about this size. This is Dwight's father's that he had in the Korean War. And it was a little Bible like that. And she knew that she couldn't live without that Bible. So she put the Bible on the back of her dress. This is what Corey said. It's God's word. If it gets in, it gets in. If it doesn't, then it's not God. And she knew she would die if she would be caught with that Bible. But God, his faithfulness. She walks up. She's next in line because they're patting him down. And, and Corey says this. She said, 
they have to take a class to be how mean. She said they have to learn how to be mean. She said they were nasty. Every woman had to get patted down. And I guarantee you it's not a TSA pat down either, if you know what I mean. And so Corey's walking up there and she's praying. The whole time she's praying, she said, God, you can make blind eyes see. Please, dear God, make seeing eyes blind. All of a sudden, there's a commotion over here. And Corey walks right on by the guards. And she never got patted down. She got the word of God in. And I'm telling you, there is something in every one of you that God has the word of God in you. And you're going to walk areas that the enemy cannot harm you because of the destiny God has in your life. Those barracks were built to hold 200 women. That barrack that they were in held 700 stinky, filthy, hot, dirty women. They were crammed in that barrack. It was so bad that they had fleas and they had lice. The conditions were deplorable. But Betsy was the encourager to Corey. And the very first time, Betsy kept saying to Corey, oh, come on, you need to be thankful. And the first scripture that they read when they got into that barracks and that Bible was with them, get this, you all know it. And it's 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always. And I don't think I gave you what version, so it may not match. Rejoice always. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for who? You. For you. For you. Betsy was the encourager. Corey. Please, you have to have a thankful and a grateful heart. And this is what Corey said. Betsy, I am thankful for a lot of things, but I will not be thankful for fleas and lice. It was soon after that in the uh, imprisonment that they realized that the guards had known that that barrack was packed with fleas and lice, that they would come up and just put the food there. There were many, many barracks. Theirs was the only barrack that no guards ever went in. They found out that that infestation of fleas and the guards stayed away. Why? Because then they could freely pray and read the Bible every single night because of the fleas, because of the head lice. What was she probably thinking in the midst of the trial? Getting the Bible through was one trial. If I die, I die, like Esther. And she had courage to do it. And then, thanking God How many have you thanked God for fleas lately? We don't. God is with us. He's at work in our darkest, darkest hours. Corey says this, There is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. We need to remember that when we're going through the pit when we're going through the waiting. As the worship team just plays quietly, I want to read a scripture, but I want you to close your eyes as I read this scripture. I think you just must meditate. And it's Psalms 40, verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and he heard my cry. 
He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground. He steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed, and they will put their trust in the Lord. I want to ask you a question. Are you waiting on God, or is God waiting on you? Waiting does not mean to stop, to withdraw, to put life on hold. I love this statement, and I hope it sticks with you today. When you're waiting, do what waiters do. They serve. In the midst of your waiting, serve. Worship. Know that you're loved. Because without trials, we can never have triumphs. We can't tout that there's a God who gives us victories or triumphs if we don't go through the trials. In the midst of your waiting, in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your trials, we must worship the Lord your God and serve him only because God is working in the waiting. I want you to stand as we close. I really feel like the last song that, and and you know what? These guys did not know my message. All they knew was the title, that the, the songs were just, God just orchestrated all together. This last song, I want us just to worship. And I want to see God just touch your heart. And if you want extra prayer, I want you to come up front. And, and I want to pray for you. But I want us just to embrace this song. And if not, it's okay. You worship and let God touch you right there. He doesn't need me. God's more powerful than that. He can touch you right where he's at. But let's just worship this song and and let it minister, Father, to us, but also to him. If faith can move the mountains, let the mountains move. We come with expectations, we're waiting here for you.